I know a while back, Pastor Chuck had got some information about a poll that was taken amongst Christian schools, and most of the kids, the time they were 15, had drank alcohol given to them by their parents. Almost all of them, 85%, their parents allowed them to watch MTV and, and all these different polls. And that week, Chuck had a, a Sunday morning message that lasted about 10 to 12 minutes, depending on the service. Basically, it was repent, and he was so angry he couldn't even preach. <clears throat> well, we may have a 10-minute message tonight, not because I'm angry, just because my voice may not hold out. But uh, anyway, Chuck had a 10-minute message, and it was okay. <laughs> so it's okay if we do it, too. But we pick up here tonight in verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in whom, in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Lord, speak to us tonight, we ask, out of your word, great and mighty things we know not of. You'd open our hearts to receive of all that you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, chapter 10 is the flip side of the coin to chapter 9. Chapter 9 says, not to him who wills or runs, is God who shows mercy. It's a supernatural thing that God does. He's predestined before the foundations of the world. God chose Jacob over Esau, the younger of the older, before they were yet born. And these are great, lofty, and awesome things. As Charles Spurgeon said, they're like looking at a giant mountain. And they're just, it's beautiful, you know, to look at the snow-top <laughs> snow mountains and the beautiful uh, majesty of it. And it's, it's wonderful. And it's, it's inspiring. It's powerful. And it's, you look at the, the might and the strength of it. And the same with God. We know He knows the end from the beginning. And we're in awe that He called us before the foundations of the world. And we're just full of joy in it. On the other side is the valley. And on that valley side where it's just very practical. You plant, you sow, you reap, you water, it stays alive. You don't water it, it dies. And we're not to stay in either side, we're to be in the road right in the middle. We're to constantly be enjoying, looking up and saying, yes, God's chosen me for the foundations of the world. But at the same time, we don't leave the very practical aspects of life. And so how does somebody get saved? We know that God chose them before the foundations of the world. Practically, how does it happen? How shall they call on him whom they not believe? And how shall they believe of him whom they not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? And so, very practically, somebody can't believe in the Lord unless they don't know about the Lord. If they know about the Lord, then they can believe in him. And so, how is somebody going to know unless somebody tells them? And how is somebody going to tell them unless they're sent? And there he says uh, a quote out of Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring clad tidings of good things. Now it's interesting. This is a very interesting verse because it's actually quoted out of Isaiah 52, 7. But it's also quoted out of Nahum chapter 1, verse 15. It's quoted out of both places. Now, in Isaiah, it's actually talking about the millennial kingdom. It's talking about the age to come, where they'll believe upon him. And, and it's just going to be a glorious time when all the earth is submitted unto God. 
And what a glorious time that's going to be. Nahum is talking about the destruction of Assyria. 150 years earlier, Jonah had preached to them. They had repented for a time. But now God's coming back and saying they're going to be destroyed. Interesting that they're both considered glad tidings of good news. And how it is good news to us. That one day all the earth will believe. And those who have not believed in the Lord, those who rejected God, will be destroyed. You say, well, I'm not so sure if that second part's good news. Well, if somebody had brutalized and killed your child, would you be glad there's a death penalty? Yeah, it's interesting. They've done polls amongst those who, basically the general public, and then they've done polls amongst those who have had close family members die. <laughs> and like those who have had people brutally killed, it's almost 100%. They, they are, they're for the death penalty. Because there's a sense that I want justice. And if we see it from God's perspective and how men have rejected the Lord, the Creator who knitted them in their mother's womb, when we see the full picture, there is going to be a sense that we cannot enjoy eternity until the wicked are punished for eternity. And so justice is a very healing thing. When true justice comes about, it's healing. It heals a nation. Now, I don't wish for justice, especially for myself. <laughs> lots and lots of mercy. And all those who have come to God will receive abundance of mercy. Ted Bundy, that serial killer, received the Lord before he died. He'll be in heaven with us. Now, there's people who hate that. I love it because I know we have a great God of mercy. And those who want to die, I don't care if they've, quote-unquote, a morally good person in and of themselves or in their own standards. If they've rejected the crucifixion, the torture of Jesus Christ and His resurrection, they're going to stand before God that day and say, God's going to say, what did you do with my son? And their answer is going to be, I ignored it. I ignored him. I ignored the whole situation. And he's going to say, Be gone, you doers of iniquity, into everlasting damnation. And so we now go out and preach the gospel of good tidings. In Isaiah, it's salvation to come. Believe on the Lord and, and, and one day be on an earth that's going to be fully saved. After the seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign. And you'll be a part of that reign with Christ as well as all of eternity. The other good news we have is if you don't receive the Lord, you'll be damned to hell. We're not going to have to spend eternity with non-believers, folks. That's great news to those who believe. We're not going to have to put up with the infidel mindset, the pagan concept of not giving worship and not giving glory. The Bible says all we're to do, we're to bring glory to God. What we eat and what we say and when we sit down, when we rise up, what we do at work, every second of the day we're to bring, be bringing glory to God. And we're going to be with people and that's all they want to do is give glory to God. No more Satan, no more temptation, no more sinful bodies. What a glorious day. All the former things are going to be passed away. Now, you say, Brian, what does that have to do 
with believing the gospel. We'll look at verse 16. But they've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now it looks like a smorgasbord of verses. And you're going, how does that one verse tie into the next verse? Very simply, folks. God has already preordained those who are going to believe. Well, then it doesn't matter if we preach the good news. Oh, it most certainly does. How will they believe if they don't hear it? Well, it can be quite discouraging if you've ever gone out witnessing, if you've ever shared the Lord with your neighbor, if you've ever given a tract to your co-worker, you know how discouraging it can be to be a witness and to share your faith. And you say, gee, not much success. I think I'll quit. And if you don't understand up front the mindset of God, the mindset, the, <laughs> the concept of God, we're going to make it through tonight. Hang in there. <clears throat> if you don't understand that concept of God in witnessing, you will get discouraged. What is the concept of God? Have they all believed? No, they're not all going to believe. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. What is God's concept in witnessing is that we would do it. You mean do it and be successful? No. That we would just do it. But what if we're not successful? It doesn't matter. And this is what he goes on to talk about as we're going to get down into Isaiah. That God told Isaiah, go tell everybody what I'm going to tell them. And nobody's going to believe you, Isaiah. But go tell them anyway. He said the same thing to Jeremiah. Go preach to the people. Go tell the people. But they're not going to hear you. Isaiah and Jeremiah basically had zero converts. And he said, well, that's because they're not Jesus. Well, look at John chapter 12. Turn over to Gospel of John chapter 12. There in verse 37, here's Jesus speaking. In John chapter 12, verse 37, But all through, though He had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in Him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which He spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their heart, lest they should turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of them. How did Jesus feel in his ministry? The same way Isaiah felt. The same way Jeremiah felt. The same way you and I feel. Well, what about Apostle Paul? What victory he had? Oh yeah? Look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Second Corinthians chapter 2. Look there, at, starting in verse 14. <coughs> this is just to give you a little background here. Paul was in Corinth. And uh, before he actually, before he got there, um, he had a hard 
he had a desire to preach the gospel. And earlier, his first time going to Corinth, we read there in Acts chapter 17 that he preached to Athens before he went to Corinth. And basically, there in Mars Hill, nobody believed in him. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first five verses, he says, Man, I desired no longer to preach anything but Christ and him crucified that men's faith would be in the power of God and not in the, my persuasive words of wisdom. And now he's had some more defeat in his witnessing life. And he had no rest in his spirit, he tells us, but he preached there in Macedonia. But what did he give thanks to God for? For the success in his witnessing adventures? No. In verse 14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma of death to death and to the other aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as a sincerity, but as from God. We speak in the sight of God in Christ. When you're witnessing, you're speaking in the sight of God in Christ. And you are a beautiful fragrance unto God. You see, everything we do, we're to do to the glory of God. Unfortunately, often we say, well, it looks successful to so-and-so if I do it. If it doesn't look successful to the people around me, I better not try it. I better not do it. I'm afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of what people might think. But the reality is, folks, when it comes to witnessing... As you go through the scriptures, you'll find there are more who will not believe than will believe. You'll always find from Genesis to Revelation a remnant of those who believe. And so we will share with more people who will be death unto death, a fragrance of death unto death, rather than a fragrance of life unto life. And that's the reality. Now, if we go out thinking... I just got to be a better salesman next time. Who's sufficient for these things, Paul says in 2 Corinthians? We're not sufficient, you see. It's not, oh, I left out that part. You know, when I was sharing to that person, had I just told them a little bit of information I had on end times? Or had I just told them a little more out of Isaiah 53? Or, oh, you know what, I totally left out the Romans road. Of course, nobody gets saved without the Romans road. And we can start thinking that it's us. And folks, that's the whole joy of witnessing. Is we have that picture of freedom. Like the man who's walking upon the mountains. How blessed are the feet of those upon the mountains who are spreading the good news. It's a, it's a picture of freedom, you see. It's a picture of, of liberty. It's a picture of somebody just sort of carefree enjoying and that's what being a witness is, is who you are. It's not some, I need to be successful. I've only got five notches on my belt. I need to, I, I want to take this person to church and everybody to see that, hey, I caught them and skinned them. Here they are, you know, they're mine. <laughs> we got to get past that mentality of, I've got to lead them unto Jesus. No. 
You need to be a fragrance of the knowledge of Him in every place. That may be a smile here. That may be a track here. That may mean two-hour counseling appointment here. That may mean some cookies here. That doesn't mean that I have to have taught them Genesis to Revelation and them to have believed and baptized and become a church member. That's not what it's about. See, we have the great joy and the freedom to just go fishing. And we go fishing, we just throw it in. We put the bait on the hook and we throw it in. The success now is from the Lord. And Jesus taught His apostles that time and time again. They were fishing all night, had caught nothing. And Jesus there said, throw it on, throw the net on the other side. And there they had more fish than they can handle. Earlier, Jesus, they had been fishing all night, and Jesus said, go out to the deep and put down your nets. You don't fish at daytime, you fish at night. You don't put down your nets in the deep, but in the shallow. And Peter said, nevertheless, at your will, I'll do it. And he went out, and there was such a haul of fish, the boat began to sink, and they had to take other boats and other nets out. If you look, it said, Jesus said, go put your nets, plural, out. And Peter went and put his net, singular, out. And the boat started sinking, they had to go get other nets, and they had to hold on. But in each of those incidents, God is saying, I am the one that's going to be the success in your fishing adventures. We don't have to have the pressure, you see, of being successful. We have the joy of sharing what's ours. I have this great verse that God ministered to me today. I want to go share it. To believers, sure. To non-believers, absolutely. To the guy at the gas station, hey, I read this great verse in Psalms today. Let me quote it to you. Hey, I wrote it down on a piece of paper. I want you to have it. It was interesting as I was coming back on Alaska Airlines a couple of weeks ago from Oregon. And Alaska Airlines, Christian-owned, with your mill, they give you a little piece of paper with a verse on it. And you should see all the people around. They love that little thing. I didn't see anybody throw it away. Most of the people reading books were using it as a bookmarker. Many of the guys put it in their pockets. The one guy I was sitting next to and witnessed to for about an hour, he, um, he said, you know, I fly in Alaska all the time. And he goes, I, ha I, I never throw these away. I have them on my mirror at home, stuck all around my mirror. Now, the joy we have is this, is that we're not constricted to say, you need to be a witness. Now, here's how you be a witness. That's the Jehovah Witnesses, you see. you got to go out and knock on your quota of doors this Saturday morning. So they put their nerd suit on and off they go. <laughs> they got their little briefcase and full of their package of heresy and off they go. You know, I'm going to do my my quota of knocking. I'm going to pass out the amount of tracks i got to pass out to make sure I make it to heaven. They're not doing it because they love you. They're not doing it because they care. They're doing it, number one, because that's the way they get to heaven. Or actually not to heaven, that's the way they can live eternity on earth. So they don't, they're not annihilated. 
you ask the Jehovah Witness, are you for sure going to live for eternity? They don't know. On that day of judgment, God's going to add up the amount of tracks they passed out, how many doors they knocked on, and he's going to compare it to their bad works and, and their other good works, and he's going to decide. That's the way it works. We're not like a bunch of Mormons that got to give up two years of our life in this missionary quest and, you know, buy your $2,000 bicycle. I do covet their bicycles. They have nice bicycles. <laughs> and put on their white shirt with their tie and that Mormon haircut. And off I go pedaling around town, you know, trying to confuse people over the fact I'm really a Christian when I'm really a Mormon. I don't have to do that. You see, I have the joy. I can go tell people, I was blind and now I see. I don't have to get them in my little group. My heart is as full as joy if they come to the Lord and go to the Baptist church down the street or if they go to the Presbyterian church in L.A. My heart's full of joy that they know Him. Now, the great confidence I have is that I will never be unsuccessful as a witnesser. Why? Because number one, I'm doing it for His glory, and the Bible says that it brings Him glory. It's in His sight every time I do it. And that it's unto Him a beautiful fragrance. Is it a sacrifice to witness? You better believe it is. Paul says, I bear in my body the scars <laughs> that I'm a follower of Christ. And when you begin to share your faith, you also will have scars. I guarantee it. You will have scars in the workplace. You'll have scars in your neighborhood. To those who don't believe, it's a fragrance under death unto death. They look at you. They see a skeleton. Why? Because of the good news. Remember Nahum chapter 1, verse 15? You're the feet of those who spread the good tidings, but it's unto them death. But to those who believe, it's Isaiah. You see, we're spreading, we're, our feet are on the mountains bringing the good news of what? Eternal life. And that, that one day you'll be in a place with complete believers. But either way, number one, it brings glory to God. Number two is Isaiah chapter 55. Turn there if you would to verse 10. Why we always have victory when we go fishing. Isaiah chapter 55. <clears throat> Starting there in verse 10. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it spring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so, or in the same way, shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I sent it. Do you catch this, folks? In other words, when you are sharing God's Word, the Word of His mouth, it is accomplishing what He sent it out to do. Now, what did He tell Isaiah? Go preach to them. Why? Because in hearing they shall not hear. And perceiving, I'm going to harden their hearts that they will not understand. Why? 
so they had no excuse before me. God wants us to preach the gospel, one, so it's those who reject him are rejecting him not out of ignorance, but they're rejecting him out of a hardness of heart. Secondly, the word of God is sent forth to those who believe. And you can, as you read through the book of Acts, notice this with Paul. There is he's preaching in Acts chapter 14. And the Jews are coming against him. And he says, okay, fine. The gospel must first be preached to the Jews, and so I've done. Now, though, he says, you've counted yourself worthy, not of eternal life, so therefore I'll go into the Gentiles. And the Gentiles rejoiced when they heard that. So what do we do? We just kick the dust off our feet and go on to the next person. We don't say, oh man, this is horrible. They've rejected the gospel. Our heart says that, but at the same time, we've got to push on. Go to the next person. Go to the next town. Go to the next city. Those who are appointed unto eternal life, as Paul says in Acts 14, will believe. And so the great joy we have is trying to discover who it is that is appointed unto eternal life. And so, like a little child trying to find an Easter egg on Easter Sunday morning, looking around, so we have the joy of going out, trying to find under the bushes those who are appointed unto eternal life. Now the word of God goes out like rain, like snow. It's going to hit the earth and it's going to do what God wanted it to be done. So to those who have heard the word of God, but maybe they rejected you immediately. Paul, when he first heard the gospel, rejected it. He was standing there as he was holding Stephen's coats or the coat of those who were stoning Stephen. But he rejected it. But ultimately, he, those words came back. And so here's the great joy I have, is that I am putting something eternal in everybody's hearts. I am putting the Word of God in their heart, and it, they can never shake it their entire life. Peter Barnes told me, who was a Jehovah Witness for 30 years, he said in those 30 years, he went to 70,000 homes. And he said to those 70,000 homes he went to, he said there was five times somebody said to him, you're wrong, let me share a verse with you. He had been a, for you know years, quote unquote, a Bible you know, student. He was a regional Jehovah Witness guy. There in England, he ended up coming over to America here and was over all of the San Diego County area. But he had never saw that verse out of John chapter 20 where Thomas said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you see and believe. Somebody showed that. It shocked him. Jesus said, Blessed are you because you believe. And he called him Lord and God. He had been a Jehovah's Witness probably 20 years before he ever saw that verse. But how many Christians thinking, don't bother. They don't have the understanding, see? I want to be a fragrance of Christ. I'm going to snow. I'm going to rain. It's going to not turn any void. It's going to cause, and it's going to accomplish what God wants it to do. And the guy just said, have you looked at that verse before? Let me read it to you. And he was stunned. He went back and said, what do we do with this verse? They said, oh, Thomas was cussing. My Lord, my God. It's Jesus. That's what they told him. And he's just going, there's no way 
the Lord's going to listen to somebody using God's name in vain and then say, blessed are you because you see and believe. But that was it. And it wore on him and wore on it. And then somebody else gave him another little piece of information and he couldn't shake it. He couldn't get rid of it. And those five pieces of information eventually opened his eyes until he just sat down and read the New Testament and he got saved. How many times we think, you see, that we have to hook them, bring them in, clean them. We don't. We just need to be the knowledge of Him in every place. Now to some people, that may mean that we can share the Lord with them. They'll pray to receive Christ. We can bring Him to church, see Him get discipled, see Him grow into the Lord. And wonderful. As, as He says there in John 4, some sow, others reap. So somebody up in L.A. has been sowing in this person. He's given them scars. They get fired, they come down to San Diego, they get another job, and they have another Christian who's sowing into them, and he ends up, you see, getting scars, and then one day at the swap meet, somebody hands him a track, and he gets saved. Well, was it that guy's track that saved them? No, it wasn't. It was the guy up there in L.A. sowing, the guy here in San Diego sowing, and then the guy who handed him the track got to reap. So we all sow, and we're not going to all reap right now. Some sows, and then some reaps. And so you'll be reaping where somebody else sowed, and somebody else will be reaping where you sowed, and that's okay. But how free we are, you see, to just be able to share. Now, if God has done something real in your life, you can't shut it up. If in Him you're living and moving and having your being, you're not going to be able to go about your day without thinking about God. And the thing that we need to understand is that when you're in the workplace, you see, or you're at home, or you're in the mall, you can give a tiny bit to have a handful of tracks on you and just open them up and hand them to people. I was up in Bakersfield a few months back and there I was eating breakfast. I took me and my boys up to do a little dove hunting. And I was there. We were eating a breakfast. And uh, the, the waitress comes over and I give her a track. And somebody looked at it and I gave them a track. And then she came back and got some to start passing out to people. And she came back for some more. And then when I was paying for the bill, they said, Hey, can we put some of those right here to, to give out? Now, interesting enough, this gal the night before was at church and the topic was sharing your faith. And she asked, Lord, help me to share my faith today. And she saw those tracks and saw that was an opportunity and it sparked that encouragement to encourage her to begin to share the Lord. And so again, we just need to do what God's put in front of us in a very natural and a very wonderful and a very joyful way. Hopefully it's with words. Hopefully... It's with being able to share from A to Z about the Lord. If not, you see, be a witness of Christ. Be that living testimony that people are looking at and reading as you're getting groceries, as you're driving, as you're being patient in the line at the Walmart or wherever. And they'll see your patience. They'll see your kindness. They'll see you putting others first. And that, you see, in and of itself will be a testimony and a witness. And as the workplace, get there early, work hard as unto the Lord, 
and then when you have something to say, it'll carry so much weight. But if you show up late and you don't work hard and you take long breaks and then you have something to say, it's going to carry almost zero weight, if any weight at all. Back here to Isaiah. He asked the question, so who's believed our report? Jesus tells us it's one out of four believe the report. Remember Jesus and the sower in Matthew 13? The sower sows the seed. On one, it falls up on the road there, and the birds come and eat it away. That's the devil. Some fall on thin soil. That's the one who will once rejoice in eternal life, rejoice in the idea of being right with God without any root in himself. He doesn't want to follow the Lord and surrender his life in serving the Lord, but he likes the idea of living a sinful life and still going to heaven. And he quickly shrivels up and dies because there's no commitment. There's no true surrender of life. And then there's the other seed that falls amongst the weeds. And this is the cares of this life, the desire for other things, and the deceitfulness of riches choke out and it dies, bearing no fruit. But on one out of four, it falls on the good soil. So you can... Estimate it'll be pretty much the same. You'll share the Lord with some people and then they'll fall away. And you say, gee, what do I need to do? Just keep it wet for them? No, just let it die. They need to have root in themselves. You've got to plainly tell them you need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to follow Christ with your whole heart. If they're unwilling to do that, I'm not going to persuade their heart. It's a matter of the heart. There's those people who receive the word, but they still want to be in the world and of the world. Now, some of us have a deep pit to crawl out of. And so we stumble and fall, even as Christians, as we're trying to walk away from the world. That's one thing. But there's the other thing where people really don't want to leave the world. They'll go to church, but don't tell me that I can't party on Friday nights and get drunk. I'll be at church on Sunday morning, but don't tell me I can't smoke a little pot here and there. Don't tell me that I have to give up living with my girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm willing to follow the Lord, but I'm not willing to give that up. And so you rebuke them, and you do Matthew 18. If they don't listen to you, you eventually kick them out of the church because a little leaven leavens the whole lot. But you don't get discouraged out of the three. You just say, Jesus said the same thing in, in John chapter 12. Who's going to believe our report? And so we just hang in there. And what do we do? In verse 17, we remember that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We keep sowing the Word. We keep preaching the Word. We keep telling the Word. A sentence here, a phrase here, a whole sermon for an hour here, a track here. However we can preach the Word, that seed would catch in those who are predestined for eternal life, as, John, or as Romans 9 tells us, and they would hear it and they would believe and they would receive. And so we keep putting the seed out there and it'll catch. And when it catches, you see, it'll produce really eternal life, those who are appointed unto eternal life. Now, some people still want you to believe that experiences are what's going to cause people to believe. And so you'll hear, hear people believe, Oh Lord, just reveal yourself to him in a powerful way. He already has through God's word. Remember that story of Lazarus and the rich man. 
And there Lazarus, who was a righteous man, died, and the rich man died. And they both both went into Sheol there in Luke chapter 16. And the rich man says, oh, please, let Lazarus put some water on my tongue, you know. And and Abraham said, nope, there's a chasm between us. It can't be crossed. And he says, well, send back Lazarus to my four brothers unless they come to the same place of torment. And Abraham said, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets and the writings, they're not going to believe even if they see somebody raised from the dead. You see, experience will not create faith. They can rejoice in the supernatural right in front of them. This is exciting, you know, like the children of Israel. They leave Egypt seeing all the plagues and all the miracles and they cross the Red Sea. But three days later, there's no water. They have zero faith. All those miracles didn't create faith. It's the Word of God that creates faith. Interesting, here Jesus is raised from the dead. We find in the last chapter of Luke. Here He is, now all power given unto Him. And there on the Emmaus Road, He sees some of His disciples. And on the Emmaus Road, now all power is given unto Him. The resurrection of the dead. Now, what does He do with those guys? Does He glow until they're eyes are, oh, it must be Jesus, we're blinded, you know. Do they see this heavenly glow about him? They just see an ordinary guy. He disguises who he is. It's just a regular Joe Smo, far as they're concerned. But it says he opened the word to them. And from the word he expounded to them how Christ must suffer and raise again. And then they said, oh, please, come, stay with us. It's getting late. Finish your journey tomorrow. And they went in and they sat down at the table. And as he broke bread, they realized, their eyes were opened, it was Jesus. And then he disappeared. And they said, oh, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the word unto us? You see, if I was Jesus, I would have, you know, showed him a few angels, you know. <laughs> Here, take a little peek of heaven. Showed him, you know, some of the golden streets there in heaven. Or I would have done something. With Jesus, all power given unto him. What's the most powerful thing he can do for them? Open the word of God unto them. You hear people from time to time say, I saw an angel and the angel told me. And I, oh, ever since then I've had such a peace. I know God wouldn't do that for me because I really wouldn't give me that much of peace. Because I know Satan himself can come as an angel of light. And we see there in Acts where that woman's crying out, listen to these men, they're of Paul, or they're of God, listen to Paul and Barnabas, they're of God, listen to him. And three days later they find out that woman's demon-possessed. And so what would cause my heart to be at peace? What would cause my heart to be comforted? To find a verse that fits the situation. And there is, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so concerned, and then I find that verse, and I really sense that God's Spirit gave that word to me out of the Scriptures. Oh, did my, not my heart burn within me? Was there not a greater faith built into my heart, you see? Now, I love the supernatural. Don't get me wrong. I love prophecies and tongues and interpretation, and I love to see the working of God and miracles and, and the gift of faith and all this is wonderful. But nothing can cause your 
faith to be built, but the Word of God and in Jude, it says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Prayer in the Word is the meat and potatoes of the Christian life. Experiences are wonderful and I love them. They're the icing on the cake. They're in no way ever going to be a substance, a nutrient that's going to cause me to walk stronger in the Lord. What's going to cause us to walk stronger in the Lord? The knowledge of God's Word. Then he asked the question again in verse 18. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. So, have they heard? Yes, they did hear. Now, notice he quotes Psalms 19. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Now, if you turn over to Psalms 19 real quick with me. Psalms 19. The first six verses are talking about how God has revealed Himself through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Day into day utters speech, and night into night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And he goes on and talks about how the wonders of creation has talked of God and how, remember back in Romans chapter 1, where he says there, that no man will be without excuse. Why? Because of creation. Remember that in Romans chapter 1, verse 20? He says that because of creation, man will stand before God and have no excuse because God's revealed enough of himself in creation itself that they should know of God and know of his Godhead, to know of the Trinity. And then the second part of Psalms 19 is talking about the perfectness of God's Word. And through the Word of God, the simple or the foolish people become wise. The impure people become pure. And that God brings salvation through His Word. And so God is speaking to everyone right now in all the world, generally, in His general revelation of creation, and specifically, the revelation of God's Word. Now, some people ask the question sometimes, well, what about those who haven't heard? Well, you can't say they haven't heard anything. They've at least heard the general revelation of God's Word because you're on planet Earth. Well, what about the pygmies in New Guinea? Well, there in New Guinea, they have trees and they have stars and they have clouds and they have rain and they have all the different creatures there that explain the very nature of God. And so they're going to be without excuse, not knowing that there's not a God. Well, specifically, they haven't heard Genesis to Revelation. Well, I got you wrong again there. There's a great little book called Eternity in the Heart. And this man was a missionary, and he ended up comparing notes in every culture in the world. Even if it's 200 people in some little tribe out in the middle of some jungle, every single culture in the world has a creation story and has a flood story and has a man falling away story and the need to be saved story. Isn't that interesting? In every single culture in the world, man knows he's, there is a God and he's not right with that God. Now, that's where it breaks down. The pagan concepts come in and how to be right with God. And so we still need missionaries to go preach to them. Um, interesting book called Bruco. And that 
particular one, he went to a group of people in Colombia, and he got to these people, <clears throat> and they began, uh, they captured him, and they began to put him to death, um, tortur torturing him. And it's a story how he escaped and got away, and ended up finding a gal down in the village who knew these people's language, studied it for a number of years, came back and preached the gospel. But within their writings of their prophets, they said that they were once living in the valley and that God, they were right with God, that a missionary, a white person, a missionary had come and shared the gospel with them hundreds of years earlier. And they knew that they were right with God, but yet when there was a famine, when they weren't right, they, they were called to God and he would help them. But instead, they went to the mountains and began to worship the God of the mountains. And those prophets said that one day another man would come to preach the gospel and they must torture him and put him to death and not listen to what he had to say. And so their prophecies were waiting for a person that would come and try to share Jesus with them. And when he came, they would capture him, not listen to him, and, and basically torture him to death. Which is quite interesting. Well, he ended up going back and preaching to those people, and they did get saved. And uh, quite an interesting uh, book, an interesting story. Don't agree with all of it, but it's uh, still interesting how people have heard. Now, to those, the more light you have, the more you're going to be accountable for God. The more given, the more required. Well, King David had more than one wife. Well, David didn't have the New Testament either. In the New Testament, it says, be the husband of one wife. So we are going to be much more held accountable than Lot or Abraham or David or Solomon or Saul. We're going to be far more accountable before God because we have much more revelation and much more light of God, especially through the person of Jesus Christ. Well, pushing on in verse 18. <clears throat> yes, they did hear through creation and through the word. And in verse 19, but I say, did Israel not know? First, Moses says, now, now he's going to start talking about the Gentiles uh, and how they believe, even though the Jews wouldn't. I provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. So we're not a nation. <laughs> There's only one nation God recognizes, and that's Israel. And I will anger you by a foolish nation. That's us again. <laughs> we're not a nation. If we're any nation, we're a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says... All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Often the people that come to Christ are the people that are the most unlikely to come to Christ in our thinking. If you look at somebody, as God told Jeremiah, don't be dismayed at their faces. You cannot look at somebody and tell whether they're a potential Christian or not. You cannot tell. We just need to, like the rain and the snow, preach the gospel. Now, we Gentiles are provoking the Jews. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Because, really, we believe in the Jewish God. Jesus was a Jew. The first church was Jewish. We have been proselyted unto a Jewish religion. As a matter of fact, for years, and even now in some religious books, Christianity is seen as a Jewish sect. And it's so we are. We're indebted much to the Jews, and we're going to see that. We already saw it in chapter 3, but as we get into chapter 11, we're going to see it even more. 
that we're indebted to the Jews in many, many ways. But right now, the gospel is open to any who will come. And God's arms are open wide and outstended and held up. Have you ever done that for a little while? Where you had to hold your arms up? That can get tired and long. But all day long, God's holding out His arms saying, whoever will come, may come. To some, life and a life. To others, death and a death. But God is wishing that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now to us who are saved, we are like that free person on the, our feet on the mountains, how beautiful they are. It's just as we live and breathe that in everywhere we would just present the knowledge of Christ in every place in the sight of God in Christ Jesus as a fragrance unto Him, knowing that the Word of God never returns void, but always is going to accomplish that work that God wants it to be to do and wants it to send it out to accomplish. Folks, we're successful. If you've shared your whole life and no one's ever come to Christ, well, it happened with Jeremiah too. It happened with Isaiah also. So don't be discouraged. But when we get to heaven, we're going to see that many of the seeds you sowed did indeed germinate. Because somebody sowed, you sowed, somebody else watered, somebody else sowed, somebody else watered, somebody else watered, another person watered, and there the growth came. And so really when you're asking somebody to come to Christ and they receive Christ, really you're just reaping. Somebody else, no doubt, had sowed into their life and you're reaping. And it's a joyful thing when you get to be the one to reap. But even if you're not reaping, remember you're sowing where somebody else will reap and it says all together will rejoice in that day. When we get to heaven, folks, in that day it will be visible. And I hope and pray that you have planted seeds in tens of thousands of people. More than you can imagine. You've planted everywhere you've gone. Planted a little seed here, a little seed there. One track here, just a sentence, a simple word. Have you thought about spiritual things lately? No, you haven't? Well, you know what? You need to read your Bible. God bless you. See you later. Come to church this Sunday. Hear about God. See you later. In every place, we would be a witness of Him. Lord, we thank You for Your Word tonight. <clears throat> and we thank You for the great joy of creation. And indeed it does speak of Your wonder. But we also, Lord, rejoice tonight in this specific revelation. And I pray that our hearts would be so greatly stirred to want to know more of Your Word. Give us a greater desire for Your Word. And give us boldness to be a witness. You said those who desire to live godly will be persecuted. We know that's true. But Paul also encouraged Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. <laughs> All the time. To share the faith. Give us strength, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us fortitude and insight and understanding. If you're here tonight and the word's gone forth and tonight's the night to reap in your life and you need to ask Christ to come into your life right now, just... Cry unto Him, Dear Father in Heaven, forgive my sin. Come into my life. By the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I now ask that You would receive me, that You would come into my life, and I will follow You by Your grace and Your mercy and Your strength all the days of my life. Thank You, Lord. I need You now.
and bless all those who have heard your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer to receive,